Just a quick announcement before you get into this episode of Cybersecurity Decoded. Our latest annual report is now available to download for free. That's free of fees and free of registration. You can just download it from selabs.uk slash AR. And if you want to know about threat intelligence, details of how we test security products, and find out who won in our security awards, grab it as soon as you can from selabs.uk slash AR. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Decoded. This is a Series 2 bonus episode featuring a full-length interview with Frank Duff, the man behind the famous MITRE security evaluations. Frank built the MITRE attack evaluations program from the very start and ran it as the general manager for four years. So either he knows what the bad guys are doing or we're all doing things wrong. Today, he is the chief services officer of Tidal Cyber, which tries to help organisations understand the threats that matter to them and defend themselves against them. We talked to him about cheating in testing, why using the full attack chain is so important, but also why you don't have to, and the idea of presumed breach, which is based on the concept that some organisations are already breached or will be inevitably at some stage. Show notes, including any links mentioned in the interview, are available at decodedcyber.com. Well, obviously, as, as we've discussed, you've worked in testing in, in a certain sort of area, slightly different to mine, but at the end of the day, we both assess products. And everyone assumes, I think, when they read your reports and mine, that the testers are effective in what they do and unethical, and that the vendors that they work with also do. So everyone's doing the best they can and they get the most accurate results. Is, is that always the case, do you think? Um, so I think largely speaking, the people that are involved in the testing experience from, from my perspective have been genuinely out to try to improve their product, be transparent about what they do. Um, definitely from a testing perspective, I, I can speak for myself and say that that's the thing that drove me every day to make every decision I did um, was what is fair, what is balanced, um, what will be the highest quality, um, right, and do things on the up and up. Um, I do think that there's a lot of competitive advantage um, to these tests and the results, and lots of people put lots of stake in them, and any times you Anytime you up the the ante, so to speak, you do risk certain amount of um, gamification or people trying to spin um, results. I think that that's one of the things that that unfortunately I always saw the most was was how marketing can try to make things look a little bit better. Um, so right, so it's the it's not that the security vendor is trying to manipulate you, the tester, or get fake results. It's more how they present your results once they're published i'd say largely speaking that that's been been more my my experience um right there's no doubt that in in my prior life there was always that um who won mentality and as much as i would say nobody won or everybody won and then i've even written blogs on the subject um at the end of the day people want to say that they won um, and that, that's fine, right? They've got their own perception, uh, but but they do try to to find the things that make them look the best, which might be even 100% truthful, but because everybody's saying 
it, it becomes a little bit confusing to the end users. Um, so it's not necessarily ill will in, in most cases. It just unfortunately makes things more confused than it really needs to be. I've, I've spoken to some vendors who say, well, of course, any test where people get 100% has to be rubbish, but we don't <laughs> want to be in any test where we don't get 100%. <laughs> what, um, when, when you talk about winners, um, what, what, would, what does winning look like? Do you have to detect every single part of an attack or can just stopping it early be a win? What, what does winning look like? Um, I think that winning has to be in the eye of the beholder for any of these types of tests. Um, visibility is great, and I'll never say that somebody shouldn't have visibility into every technique and um, the ability to detect or the de ability to protect things that are truly malicious. Um, but I think think one of the challenges with testing is that it, it you have to look under the circumstances for which the test was performed, right? And, and at least... Um, Things like the attack evaluations program, um, right? We, we were doing those in a very um, sterile environment, right? There's no penalty for false positives or anything like that. Um, that doesn't mean that the capabilities don't work. It just means you have to take them for what they're worth. Mm. Um, and, and I think that as you look across other testing labs, it's the same case, right? I mean, we're, we're all doing the best. Again, testers are doing the best that they can. The vendors are doing the best that they can. But at the end of the day, that there's limitations. Um, so, so when I think about the who won, it usually comes down to the who the users user is. Um, so, if I am a top-notch sock, where I value getting all the data and having the ability to detect, right? Then I think that it, having that broader visibility and a lot of uh, as as we would call it telemetry um, is important. Um, however, if you have a, a, a only a few analysts, or they're they're ones that um, aren't necessarily the top tier. Um, then you can't just collect all the data. They've got to have prioritized lives, and that's where things like false positives really matter, um, which uh, testing can 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 either do or not do um, um, some some of that regards. And, and that's something we did not do in the attack evaluations program. Mm. I think triage is important because you could have yes. um, a network detection and response product that detects every event. It could be, it might not even be a false positive. It might just be detecting a login and making no judgment about that. Right. And then you've got 50 billion events happening and that doesn't help your SOC uh, staff. And I, I can think back to seeing a dashboard not that long ago where one instance of a ransomware attack caused dozens and dozens of near identical alerts and i think to be useful that product like every other product probably would have detected it yeah make a detection but kind of group them together and maybe prioritize and say well look it got blocked it didn't actually do anything bad but it's happening so you want to investigate versus that that compromised 100 systems and put ransomware on them successfully each time yeah no that's a, that's an absolutely wonderful point because i remember right i mean i've i've been doing um, endpoint security, right? I started as, as more of like a, a blue teamer um, um, when, when I started doing more more cyber work at, at MITRE, and um, and I've been watching this EDR space come out, um, like move beyond just AV to next gen AV to EDR and, and EPP and the like, right? And and so as that 
evolution kind of went off, right? There was a lot more dashboards that were just like, here, let's throw alerts for all the things. Um, fortunately, I think, uh, while it's not universal, I have been seeing kind of like industry slowly getting better at figuring out how to um, correlate those, those data points um, so that it does create more stories or narratives that, that kind of tie the pieces together. So it's not just 10,000 different alerts popping or whatever, right? It, instead, it can be a more focused thing. And then you can dive down and get that context a lot more efficiently. But that's, that's an absolutely wonderful point. And, and if, if it's, it's one of those things where if you look at like attack, for instance, right? Uh, uh, attack, oftentimes the, the, there's the, the game to try to get the best coverage um, where everyone wants a detection on every technique, but a lot of the techniques by themselves don't hold a lot of value. Does that mean that they're not alert worthy? Not necessarily, but when you present the alert, you have to do it in a very smart way so that it's in the context of the things that are less noisy, right? And, and so I really like that point that you made. Do you mean something like a, let's say that an administrator uses PowerShell to create user accounts, um, and so that is an event that happens, and you should know it, it has happened. But if it's in the context of something else more suspicious happening, you might say, well, look, okay, a PowerShell um, script ran and a user was created, but we think that bears further investigation because it came about as a result of someone opening a document, for example. Exactly, exactly. That, that, that's a, a, a great example. Um, oftentimes the things that I often point to examples as well is things like discovery techniques. Um, so discovery techniques are used by a lot of administrators and, and just those, those scripts that they're using to deploy tools and, and check maintenance and all those types of things. And so what you'll get is discovery techniques oftentimes um, just flag a lot in environments. But you know what, if, if, an, uh, if somebody's actually doing network discovery and then doing some lateral movement over there, maybe that is a little bit something to, <laughs> to just raise the attention up, right? And so it, it's about that additional context, as, as you say. Not all testers are competent, though, are they? And, and some are actually actively misleading. Uh, so given that there are some bad tests out there, would it be okay for a vendor to cheat in such a test? <laughs> so hopefully, so so bad testers is a is a sticky point. I I don't know whether I mean if if they have to cheat and and stuff like I I don't know if I'd ever condone cheating. Um, but if it's a bad test, if it's a bad test, it's a bad test. Um, I think that um, I will say that that cheating isn't necessarily bad though. You you brought up another thought that that I had right. So one of the things that that oftentimes happens in in testing from from what I hear anyways um, is um, there there's oftentimes a lot of preparation that goes into preparing for said test mm -hmm. right and and so being able to go get validated by third parties beforehand, do a lot of research internally to try to make sure that you're, you're up to date with the latest trends that might be tested on. Um, it's a lot of like what I would equate to um, like pretests, right? Um, and, and, and just trying to understand and do prep work. And in that case, I don't think that that type of, that some could consider cheating is actually like cheating. They're, they're trying to pre uh, prepare, and it is focused preparation that will skew the results. 
But at least in in terms of like what you guys do over at SE Labs or, or or what I used to do back in Attack Evals, where it's threat informed, is a vendor going off and researching a lot about a threat, and then testing up against a lot of things that emulates that threat. Is that a bad thing? No, because they're coming away with better better products as a result. That's it. You um, hit the nail on the head. The end result is an improved product. Um, Correct. Which then protects the real important people in the room, which are the customers. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting um, kind of world we live, right? Because at the end of the day, that's the end goal, I, I mm. think, of, of testing, right? It's to make the products better. Um, you do want to inform the public, and there's an important aspect there, but that's usually where things start breaking down. Um, of course, that's where a lot of the value is, too, so so that, that it's necessary, um, but if, if products are improving and learning from it, like I think that that's a win. I think historically part of the problem is that, like for example, when you're at MITRE, um, SE Labs, we tend to work with the vendors as partners rather than mm-hmm. opponents. Right. But that's historically not always been the case. And so if you wanted to do well in test X by vendor Y or by tester Y, um, you might not want to do lots of preparation for that test with them Ideally, you would, but if they're treating you like a, in a kind of hostile way, well, how mm. good do you think you are? We're going to see if you're worth the bucks that you're charging your customers. Because some of the testers do have that quite confrontational attitude. Um, then the kind of the whole feeling about the engagement changes. But I think the way that we've always dealt with the vendors has been the end result has to be a better product, not um, a slap on the wrist and do better next time. Right, right. Absolutely. I'm not going to name any names because I don't trust you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm very familiar with the not naming names business. So why is it so important, or is it important, to do use the full attack chain um, when you're running a security test? Attack chains, as, as we consider them, um, or, or other people will call it attack flows as well, um, is about chaining together behaviors that are related so what that could mean is um i need to to for instance dump credentials so i can get an additional credential i need to do network discovery to understand where i'm going to go next so that i can actually perform the goal of the lateral movement and move to the next host so in that case you're talking about a three-step chain to um, achieve a goal which is what the bad guys would do in the real world. Right? Exactly, exactly. It's about making it real related to what the bad guys have to do to achieve their goals, their mission. And so when, when, um, when, when I like to consider testing, a lot, of what you, a lot of tests can't be done in just isolation of a single step, for instance. Um, instead, what you need to do is consider those multiple pieces that need to be pulled together. Why that matters for testing and why you can't just go the atomic route is because each one of those steps offers potential for increased protection, detection capability, and improved performance of those by correlating back to the behavior that was before them. Um, So what that means is maybe that third activity, that lateral movement in, in my example, isn't enough to really raise the, the level of concern on its own. But when you couple that with the credential dumping that happened right before it and the network discovery that happened right before it, suddenly that thing becomes of, of much higher 
importance, right? It, it tells you something a lot more when you understand it. Similarly, in, in like a protection test, a lot of these tools are going to stop that credential dumping. And so the discovery that might have come afterwards or the lateral movement that might have come afterwards wouldn't have even been able to happen. So that's why these chains matter because each one, each of these atomic behaviors can do a certain amount of capabilities on their own, but understanding the bigger picture really gives you an idea of how that tool would perform under realistic conditions. I'm reminded of a test I saw years ago where there was nothing wrong with it. It was it was atomic, as you say. They had done some work with exploits, and um, in, at the time, what was happening was people were falling for certain tricks. They were downloading files, running those uh, malware executables, and then an exploit would happen, and further bad things occurred. Mm-hmm. And they just did the exploit part. They they ignored all of the chain of attack up to that, uh, which is fine because you could then say, well, this product doesn't handle exploits very well. Um, but they took their conclusions too far. They said antivirus was therefore useless mm. because um, the antivirus product didn't handle the exploit uh, correctly. Had they done the full attack chain like you're talking about and managed to succeed, then you might say, well, okay, antivirus isn't very good. You still couldn't probably say it's useless. That's too mm-hmm. too much of a stretch. But when you go atomic, when you just pick one part of the security layer to attack without doing all the other bits it it really limits you as your, as a tester uh, what kind of conclusions you can draw from that test i think yeah absolutely and i think as testers to me that was actually one of the the more enjoyable thing is understanding the trade-offs because there is a lot of value in in some atomic tests right they can be done and give you meaningful results they just will be different results than a, a test that looks at entire flow um and, and there's values in each one of those. They just answer different questions. Um, I think one of the, the, as I started to go down, the, the more enjoyable things to it is trying to figure out how to strike the compromise, the balance. Um, because uh, the, the, the question that I always stumble on is like, well, what happens in a test if something is blocked, hmm. right? So, so that initial execution that's oftentimes a very uh, hard thing to create just new of, right? You're talking about like new exploits and exploits are hard to develop and expensive to develop and all that stuff. So oftentimes when we talk attack testing, um, whether it's it's the stuff that I was doing before attack evals or the stuff that was at attack evals or, or, or broader, right? What we lived in was this presumed breach model. So we tried to say, all right, well, Spearfish would eventually happen. You could similarly say, all right, well, initial execution would eventually happen. And you could similarly do that down and down the chain. For me, I always felt like there was immense importance in to be able to evaluate throughout the attack flow or attack chain, because each one of those first steps could always be circumvented. They could always find a way around. And then the question is, what, what next? And then you get that next wall. And then you say, well, what next? What happens if they would have gotten credentials in this new way? Well, then they could have done the lateral move. But but what happens if we stop the lateral movement? Well, what happens if they find a new way of doing lateral movement? And so you get down, down and down and down the chain until you finally hit the end of either the exfiltration or the encryption or, or the data wiping or what have you. Um, but, but understanding the defensive capabilities at each one of those points, it still holds value. But how to do that in a realistic way, right? 
figure out a, and a repeatable way of how to get through the entire chain through blocks in a way that's still realistic that that's a hard game to play um but but i will say that there's still a lot of value in it um so but but you just again have to kind of understand what is the scope of each of these tests right were they trying to uh be more stop them from getting in specific i mean there's a lot of value in keeping the adversary out right i'm not gonna say that that's not important but at the same time a lot of organizations continue to have challenges and keep getting ransomware yeah i don't think it's realistic to assume that a vendor comes along to an enterprise and says buy our product we'll protect you it's yeah. not reasonable to assume that that network is not compromised yet it's probably there's probably something bad happening on there yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. Or or it will be, right? I mean, because you can only protect for so long, right? I mean, the, the world lived in this this keep the bad guy out mentality for long enough. Um, and now everybody's kind of starting to realize, all right, well, that's that's a, a losing proposition. So let's let's assume that they will get in. And then the question then becomes of where where do you have that defense in depth, hmm. right? There's so many opportunities to detect and prevent bad along the way before they get to that ransomware, um, before they get to that encryption event to actually um, uh, um, uh, lock up the bits, right? And so how, how do you defend or how do you assess those capabilities at each one of those phases? So, so it's, it's kind of an interesting challenge. You want to do flows. You want to recognize that, okay, vendor X stopped other behavior from happening. So that is a great victory. But you also have to then acknowledge that, well, that's good in this case, but are there ways around? Probably. Um, so then what else can they do beyond that? Right. And I think that, that that's it, it's a, definitely a lot of trade offs to kind of be balancing um, as we look at these tests. I think you've made a really important point there about ransomware, because everyone's talking about ransomware. It's the, the payload that creates a huge amount of havoc and potential cost and, and certainly hits the headlines. But it's not a special kind of attack. It's a payload. And all of the behaviors in that attack chain that lead up to ransomware could have been used for something else as well. So is it fair to say that if enterprises protect themselves in general in a in a good way, they won't just stop ransomware, they'll stop all this other stuff as well? Yeah, that's definitely the hope. I mean, the, the problem is adversaries are, always are evolving and and there's no totalities. But But if you've got a good idea of what threats are doing and how threats have to operate within a network, right? And that, at the end of the day, that's what attack is trying to do by, by defining. Um, if, if, if those threats can be known, right, mm. you've got opportunity to detect them and not just one-offs, but like you can go to the more behavioral level. These are the things that have to be done by adversaries to get from point A to point B to achieve their mission. Um, and, and, um, the, the places where where you restrict the number of ways that adversaries can do X, Y, and Z, right? Those are going to be the points of, of greatest defense. And is that something that CyberTidal can help with? Yeah, so 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 what, what Tidal definitely wants to do is um, help organizations understand what threats matter to them, understand which techniques matter to them. There's no real universal answer. Um, there are general trends, definitely, right? Like everybody's got to be concerned about credential dumping to a certain degree. Um, but how much you weigh that, right? If, if you've got honey creds, you might want, in some cases, the adversary to actually try 
to dunk credentials because that provides you a very high confidence tripwire that you can then use. So, so just, just it, there's so much customizability based on customer needs to understand what threats matter and how your defensive stack is best situated to address those threats. And that's really what we're trying to, to focus on. Please subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, please send a link to just one of your close colleagues. And that's it. Thank you for listening. And we hope to see you again soon.